thank you, Catherine, for that beautiful song. Such a wonderful reminder of what mothers do so many times. And if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, if you turn in or turn on to Hebrews chapter 11, and just hold your spot right there because we're going to come back to it and then look over to Exodus chapter 1. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 1 first. And you know, I was thinking about whenever you hear the word mother, and what comes to mind? What images come to your mind? What do you think about? I read this week where a group of second graders were asked questions about their mothers. And these were some of the questions and some of the answers of these second graders. First, how did God make mothers? One little two-year-old said, magic plus superpowers and a whole lot of stirring. What ingredients are mothers made of? Well, God makes mothers out of clouds and angel hair and everything nice in the world with one dab of mean. <laughs> why, did give, why did God give you to your mother and not some other mother? Because God knew that she would like me a whole lot more than other people's moms would. What was your mother like when she was a little girl? I don't know because I wasn't there. But my guess is she was pretty bossy. <laughs> they say she used to be nice. <laughs> Question came, how did your mom meet your dad? Well, my mom was working in a store and my dad was shoplifting. <laughs> what would it take to make your mom perfect? Well, on the inside, she's already perfect. On the outside, some type of plastic surgery. <laughs> If you could change one thing about your mom, what would it be? I would like to get rid of those eyes in the back of her head. Maybe you can relate. But you know, mothers don't always get the credit they deserve, do they? They really don't. Mothers are often the hidden figure in the background. Uh, have you ever thought about the hidden figures who really influence your life and shape you into the person that you are? And lots of times, those are your, yes, your mother and your father. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about the hidden figures. And so I want to do a little audience participation this morning. I'm going to ask you a series of questions. And I want you to indicate just by raising your hand. Okay, for example, and they're going to get harder as we go. The first one is, how many of you know who Abraham Lincoln is? Lots of you. He was the 16th president of the United States of America. But how many of you know who Abraham Lincoln's mother's, mother was? Okay, I've got, I see one or two. You know, Abraham Lincoln's mother, her name was Nancy. She died whenever he was about nine years old. But Abraham Lincoln said about his mother, All that I am or hope to be I owe to my angel mother. How many of you know who John Newton is? Now, a few of you raising your hands. When I share with you who he is, you're going to be amazed. John Newton was a slave trader in the 1700s who became a believer in Christ during a, a severe storm. He wrote a very famous hymn. It's called Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. The Savior wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. That was John Newton. How many of you know who John Newton's mother was? Her name was Elizabeth. She died when she was 27 years old. She had tuberculosis. And she knew her time on earth was very short. And so she made it her aim to make sure that she grounded her son John in the faith before she died. John Newton said about his mother, she made it the chief business and the pleasure of her life to instruct me and bring me up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Elizabeth was the hidden figure behind John Newton. Now I'm going to ask you another one. This might be a little hard. How many of you have ever heard of D.L. Moody, Dwight L. Moody? If you have, raise your hand. 
a number of you. You know, D.L. Moody was a very famous evangelist. He was like the Billy Graham of his day in the 1800s. Moody Bible Institute in Chicago is named after him. Moody Church in Chicago is named after him. But how many of you know who D.L. Moody's mother was? Anybody? His mother's name was Betsy. D.L. Moody said this about his mother. All I have ever accomplished, I owe to my godly mother. Now we ask you another question. How many of you have ever, ever heard of the name Jochebed in the Bible? I see a couple hands, three or four. Jochebed, she was an unknown figure really in the Bible. The Bible really only mentions her a couple times in Scripture by name. And one of those times is in Numbers chapter 26 and verse 59. And this is what it says. Listen carefully. The name of Amram's wife was Jochebed, the daughter of Levi, who was born to Levi in Egypt. And to Amram, she bore Aaron, Moses, and their sister Miriam. Now you might know who Aaron is. You might know who Moses is. You might know who Miriam is. But did you know that their mother's name was Jochebed? Maybe, I'm wondering how many of y'all came today wishing that you'd learn who Jochebed was. Anybody? Jochebed was the unknown figure in Moses' life. And so we have here in Exodus chapter 1 uh, a story unfolding. And in Exodus chapter 1 we find a Pharaoh who was very grieved that the Hebrew people were beginning to populate. He was nervous that they were going to, to overcome the Egyptians. And so he instituted a law, a law of genocide. He said, if it is a male, if a Hebrew has a male son, you're to throw that baby boy into the Nile River so that he can drown. And that's where we take off in, in Exodus chapter 1. Would you follow with me in verse 22? So Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. And then continue in chapter 2. And a man of the house of Levi who we know to be Amram, went and took a, as a wife a daughter of Levi, who we know to be Jochebed. So the woman Jochebed conceived and bore a son, who we know to be Moses. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, and she daubed it with asphalt and pitch, and she put the child in it and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. And his sister stood afar off, to know what would be done to him. And then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to, the, to bathe at the river, and her maidens walked along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child. And behold, wow, the baby wept. And she had compassion on him. And she said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. And then his sister Miriam said to Moses, I mean to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the maiden went out and called the child's mother, Jochebed. And so Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And the child grew. And she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter. And he became her son. And she called him Moses because I drew him out of the water. And then, if you flip over to Hebrews chapter 11, where you're holding your place, I want you to read one verse. We're going to read other ones, so don't lose your place. We're going to come back. But in Hebrews 11, 23, it says this. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child. 
and they were not afraid of the king's command. Now, Jochebed really is a hidden figure. She's not even mentioned in either one of these passages by name. But God listed her in the hall of faith. She might not be in anybody's hall of fame, but she's in God's hall of faith. And I would rather be in God's hall of faith than anybody's hall of fame. Can you say amen? And Jochebed was in God's hall of faith. And, you know, a mother's faith, and Catherine's saying so beautifully about a mother's faith. A mother's faith can have a profound impact on her children. And so what was it about Jochebed's faith that had such a profound impact on Moses? And I want to give you several things that I really feel like were really in her life that really enabled her to have such a profound impact. Number one is I believe her faith was a personal faith. Jochebed had a personal faith. Do you know where Jochebed's faith came from? Jochebed's faith came from the Word of God. Her, her faith was rooted in the promises of God from His Word. You know, the Bible says in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Now, I want to just mention this. I'm so thankful for our praise band, aren't you? Don't they do just a wonderful job leading us in worship every Sunday morning? And so we take them for granted so often. And so I'm so thankful for all they do to, to lead us in worship. But you know the most important thing you're going to do this morning is hear the Word of God. That is the most important thing you'll do. It, the worship prepares your heart to, to hear the Word of God. The worship prepares your heart and cultivates your heart to receive God's Word so that it can penetrate. Let me ask you this. Do you want a greater faith? Do you want to have a greater faith? If you want a greater faith, then you need to have a greater knowledge of God's Word and the great evangelist, D.L. Moody, who I just mentioned, one day recognized he had a very weak faith. And so he, he began to pray and pray and pray and ask God to give him more faith. I want you to increase my faith. And nothing ever happened. His faith never grew. And then one day he read Romans 10, 17, where it says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And all of a sudden a light bulb came on. If I want my faith to grow, I've got to know God's word. And so he began to immerse himself in God's word and begin to study it. And he believed it. And he began to apply it to his life. And what happened? His faith grew. If you want a greater faith, you need to have a greater knowledge of God's word. Now, Jochebed, I believe, had a personal faith that was rooted in God's word. Now, she didn't have an Old Testament and a New Testament like we have because it wasn't written yet. You know, she had the oral tradition that was just passed down from generation to generation. You know, uh, parents would tell their children and they would tell their children and so on. It's called the oral tradition. And it really is the book of Genesis. That's what the oral tradition would have been for her, because that's all there was. And I believe that she knew Genesis 3.15, and that promise that God put in there. That one day, God was going to send a Savior to save the world. And Genesis 3.15 is the very first prophecy about Jesus coming to the earth. And Jesus, I mean, the Father of God was talking to, to Satan. He said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now, she didn't maybe understand what all that meant, but she knew that one day there was going to be a Savior that was going to come and conquer Satan. He was going to conquer death. And yes, death was going to injure him, but he was going to be victorious. He didn't understand. She didn't understand it, but she knew it, and she believed it. And you ask how I know that she believed that God would send a Savior. Well, if you go back to Hebrews eleven twenty six, 26, read this very important verse. Moses esteemed... The reproach of Christ, greater than the riches of Egypt. Did you notice that Moses was already looking to Christ? How did he even know Christ was, like, was going to be coming on the scene? Because I believe his mother and his father told him about the promises of God, that there would be a Savior who would deliver us from sin and death. Yeah, I think that Moses also knew about 
The fact that God was going to send a deliverer to deliver the Hebrews from the Egyptian slavery. I think she knew about Genesis 15, 13, where God made a promise to Abraham. And this is what God promised to him, uh, maybe as much as 600 years or more before it ever happened. God told Abraham, your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, talking about Egypt, and will serve them. And they will afflict them for 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. And afterward, they shall come out with a great possession. That was a promise that I believe that Jochebed knew and she was looking forward to. And so Jochebed's faith was in foresight. You know, our faith is in hindsight. We look back to the cross. We look back to the resurrection. But Jochebed looked forward in faith to what was going to be coming. She had a forward-looking faith. And so the Hebrews had been slaves for about 400 years when Moses was born. And she looked at little Moses. And I believe she thought, you know, he could be God's answer to our prayer. He could be the one to deliver. You know, it says in Exodus chapter 2, verse 2, that she saw that the child was a beautiful child. Now the Bible says that the, Moses, the parents of Moses saw that he was beautiful. Your translation might say goodly, or it might say proper, or it might say favored. Now, let me just say this. I am not surprised that Moses' parents thought he was a beautiful child. That doesn't surprise me. I'm not surprised that they thought that he was a favored child. Because I know what happens when a young couple has a baby. That is a beautiful child. That is a highly favored child. Amen? That's what parents believe. And how do I know it? Because I can look on Facebook and I can see the journey of everything that happens in their life, right? It's that photo album that's on Facebook of every detail. So that's no surprise. What surprises me about Moses is that he was the third-born child. Now, if you're the third-born child, you don't get any pictures. You know, when I was growing up, we had those family photo albums. You know, you had to print the pictures out and put them in an album. And I remember picking that family photo album up, and I'm the third born, and I'd see my older brother. And his picture, and picture, and picture. And then I'd see my middle brother, and his picture, and picture, and picture. I said, now, where am I? Oh, you're in there. Where? You're right there. Now, that's my older brother. When you're the third born, you don't get any pictures. You know, I was thinking about what happens when you're, when you're the first born. When you're the first born, you parents change that baby's diaper every hour, whether they need it or not. On that second born child, you change that baby's diaper every two to three hours if needed. On the third born child, you, you don't change that diaper till you can smell it or you see that diaper dragging. <laughs> That's what it's like. And Moses was a third born child. It's amazing that his parents even thought there's anything special about Moses. But when they saw him, they believed. Now listen, they believed he was a child of destiny. I was thinking about all these children who were standing up here singing. You know, every single one of them is a child of destiny. God has a destiny for them. God has a plan for their life. And when you look at those children, do you see that they're a gift of God who need to be cultivated to follow Christ and to serve Him? They're gifts. And do you see God using your child to change the world for Christ? I think Jochebed had a faith. That was personal. But you know, I think she also had a faith that was protected. She had a faith that protects. In Hebrews eleven twenty three, 23, it says, By faith, when Moses was born, he was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. Aram and Amram and Jochebed protected Moses from this murderous king. They didn't fear the king. They feared God more than they did the king. But Jochebed did everything she could to protect Moses from harm. 
You know, but I don't think when she tried to protect him from harm that she was able to protect him from every disappointment in life. She could not protect him from every failure in life. She could not protect him from, from every struggle in life. And so many times parents really try to do those things, but you can't. You can't protect your child from every disappointment. Sometimes your child will not be the MVP. And it won't be the coach's fault. Sometimes people are just better at some things than others, but you need to instill in your child their value does not come from their performance in academics and athletics. Some people try to shelter their children from every failure in life, but don't you know that we grow through failure? Don't you know that we, we grow through hardship and struggle? We don't like it, but we grow through it, don't we? We do. And listen, you need to give your children the freedom to fail occasionally. Now, you don't want to set them up to fail. You want to set them up to succeed. But sometimes they're going to fail, and it's okay to fail. You're not defined by your failure. You're defined by what you do after you fail. You're defined by what you do after you fail. What you do after you fail determines who you are. Did you know that Moses failed many times? And on one of those occasions, he was about 40 years old. And maybe he believed he was going to be the deliverer. And he saw this uh, Egyptian beating a Hebrew servant. He took matters into his own hands and he went and he killed that Egyptian and then he buried him in the sand thinking nobody saw it. But it was exposed. And Moses, because of that, had to leave Egypt and live in the desert for 40 years as a shepherd. It's a costly price. But you know what? God was doing something during that time. He was using that failure and that struggle to equip Moses to to be the shepherd of the people. Sometimes we learn through struggle and failure and heartache. In Luke chapter 22, Jesus was observing the Last Supper with his disciples. and He told his disciples, I'm about to be crucified. And I'm going to be buried. But I'm going to rise again on the third day. And then he looked at Peter. And this is what he said in Luke chapter 22, verse 31. Now listen, don't miss this. He said to Peter, Satan has requested to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And when you have returned to me, you strengthen the brethren. You see, Jesus was predicting Peter's denial. Jesus knew that Peter was going to fail miserably. Peter knew that there was a struggle. I mean, Jesus knew that Peter had a struggle on the horizon. He could have stopped it, but he didn't. He knew because he knew that when when Peter went through that struggle, it was going to equip him and enable him to strengthen others. And you know what Peter wrote later in his own writing? He said, Beware of Satan, who is a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, and he will flee to you, flee from you. See, he, he learned. He was strengthening others. And so Jesus knew it. How about you? Have you grown from failures in your life and struggles? Your children are going to fail sometimes. But they're going to grow. You need to help them navigate through those difficult times so they can grow. You know, I think that Jochebed also had a faith that was practical. Some people think if Jochebed had faith, in real faith, she wouldn't have hid her son from the Egyptians. And so some people think that faith is just doing nothing. You just let God's will work out. You know, God's will will always be done. But can I just say that God's will is not always done on earth? Do you think that abortion is God's will? Do you think that murder is God's will? You know, God said in, in his word that he, he desires that none should perish. He wills that none should perish, that, that all would come to repentance. Do all come to repentance? No. 
God's will is not always done. And so the Bible says that Jochebed had faith, and by her faith she hid Moses for three months. That's what faith did. It acted. It was practical. You know, James 2.17 says this. Faith by itself is what? Dead. Faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. And someone will say, well, you have faith and I have works. Well, you show me your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith by my works, is what James said. Now listen, don't miss this. You are not saved by good works. You can do all the good works you want to. It will never remove the stain of sin on your life. You are not saved by good works. You are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. But when you have faith that saves, you have a faith that works. And if you don't have a faith that will motivate you to action, then your faith has no power. And your faith is worship, worthless. I mean, really, who wants a faith that doesn't change how you live? Don't you want a faith that changes how you live? Well, Moses was under the sentence of death here, and Jochebed did everything she could for Moses. She took action. Her faith motivated her action, so she hid him for three months. And I don't know what was happening during that time, but I just wonder, during that three months, as she began to reflect on Genesis, and she started thinking about how, you know, Moses is under the sentence of death. And then she started thinking about how the world was under the sentence of death whenever God told Noah to build an ark. Maybe she thought, well, you know what? God told Noah to build an ark, and he did it in faith, even though it had never rained before. And so whenever the world was under the sentence of death, God saved them from that sentence by building an ark. And maybe it just planted a seed in her mind. Maybe I ought to build an ark for little Moses and put him in that Nile River and float him out and spare his life. And she didn't know what the outcome would be. She had no idea what the response would be. But when she did, uh, she floated little Moses out and Pharaoh's daughter was there bathing that day in the river. Now, I don't know why she was. It might be because she felt like that the Nile River was a sacred river like most people did. And maybe she felt like it had healing powers. And she felt like, hey, I'd rather bathe here than in my nice bath just, you know, uh, covered in gold and silver. But for whatever reason, she was in the river that day. And she saw that basket floating, that ark floating. And she, she said to her servants, would you go retrieve that? And they did. And she opened it up and there was Moses smiling at her, weeping. And you know what? That Egyptian princess had a mother's heart. The Bible says she had compassion on Moses. She knew exactly who he was. He was a Hebrew child. And by law, by order, she was to take that child and throw him in the river and let him drown. But her mother's heart would not let her do it. She had compassion on little Moses. You know, God put compassion in women to be good mothers. That comes from God. That's a gift that he gives mothers and gives women. And then there was little Miriam maybe hiding in the bushes and she was watching everything take place. And she saw that they, she, she found this little baby and she said, hey, do you want me to go get somebody to nurse that child for you? And she said, yeah, I'd love for you to do that. And she says, well, I'll go get somebody. She brings back Moses' mother. And she says, I'll pay you to nurse this little child for me. Now, think about this. Pharaoh's daughter hired Pharaoh's mother, I mean uh, Moses' mother, to nurture him. Jochebed got paid by Pharaoh to take care of her own child. Now that's really having your cake and eating it too, isn't it? But do you know what happens when we practice our faith? We start seeing the power of God at work in our lives. Pharaoh paid Moses' mother to train the very one who would liberate the Israelites from Egypt. 
That's faith at work. Let me ask you this. Would you ask God to give you the determination to know the word of God and believe it enough to put it into practice? Let me give you one last thing. Jacobet also had a faith that prepares. Some of you mothers, when you look at our current culture and our situation in the world, you might get a little anxious. You might get a little nervous. It seems very dark and dismal. The political situation is not good. We think about the moral depravity in a country is not good, and you may be a little bit concerned. Well, I want to just let you know, Jacobet had some some distressing, depressing, dark days as well. I mean, they were living in slavery. Jochebed's baby was under the sentence of death. The Hebrew people had been influenced by the idolatry of Egypt. Jochebed could have said, you know, it would have been better if Moses had never been born. But what would have happened to the Hebrew people had Moses never been born? They would have missed their deliverer. Now, let me just say to you parents, you cannot isolate your children from the influences of the world. But you can insulate them from the influences of the world. How do you do that? You equip them. You train them spiritually. That's what Jochebed did. She prepared Moses spiritually. Now you might ask, well, how do you know she prepared Moses? Well, let's go back to Hebrews eleven twenty four. 24. It says this, By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now that's huge. And in verse 25, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Moses refused to identify with the Egyptians and he chose to be afflicted with the people of God. He chose the wealth of God over the wealth of this world. And if you want your children to choose God over the wealth and the pleasures of this world, you better put something in their heart. You better plant something deep in their heart. Some people think, well, Moses must have been a fool to give up all the pleasure and luxury and the wealth of Egypt to suffer with the Hebrews. Jim Elliott was a missionary to Ecuador. He witnessed to one of the most violent people groups on the face of the planet called the Waidani people group. And while he was sharing the gospel with them, they speared him to death. I think it was 1956, if my memory serves me correct. Well, they looked at Jim Elliott's diary. This is what he wrote. A man is no fool to give up what he cannot gain. Uh, Excuse me. A man is no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. A man is no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And Moses was willing to give up what he could not keep, all that wealth of Egypt, for what he could not lose, his relationship with God. If you want your child to Reject the enticements of this world for the benefits of Christ. You need to prepare them spiritually. And Jochebed knew one day that Moses was going to have to leave the safety of her home. And he was going to enter a new world. A different world. It was going to be a different social world. A different financial world. A different academic world. It was going to be a world of pleasure. And hedonism. And idolatry. And Jochebed knew that her time was limited so she took every... Opportunity, I believe, that she could to train Moses spiritually for what he would face in Pharaoh's palace to reject the idolatry of Egypt. Adrian Rogers put it this way. Moses' mama put something in the heart of that little baby that the devilish atheist could not take out. You know, the secret of preparing your children is not in isolation, but in insulation. So how do you prepare your children? Let me just give you a few quick things. And this, let me just give you this disclaimer. This is not an exhaustive list. But these are some ways that you can prepare your children. Number one, you need to educate. You need to teach your children from birth to know the Word of God. You know, you can't just dedicate your baby and think your job is done. You have to proactively teach 
the word of God to your children. I read where one mother was reading the Bible to her infant child one day. And an onlooker said, are you reading the Bible to your infant? And she said, well, yes, I am. She said, he said, well, can your infant baby understand what you're reading? And she said, well, no. My baby does not understand what I'm reading, but I want my baby's earliest memory to be hearing the word of God. Paul said to his young protege, Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 3.15, From childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. What was he saying? He said, Timothy, you've known the Scriptures from childhood. Who taught you? Your mother and your grandmother. The Bible says to train up your child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart. That's Proverbs 22.6. I think Jochebed in embedded the truth of God's word into Moses' heart. You know, you know what I think? I'll give you two things I think that she taught Moses. Number one, I think she taught him that God created everything. That God created this world out of nothing. And so whenever he went to his Egyptian university and that professor started using those $2 words to tell him that, that this world just evolved out of nothing, he said, oh, no, wait, I know, I know better than that. There's a group of people today, and I, I don't know where you stand on this issue, but let me just give you this tidbit. There's a group of people today that believe if I quit driving my, church, my truck to church, then I can save the planet. Well, you know, God created this world, and this world will exist until he says it won't. But that does not mean I don't have a responsibility to do my part. I need to be a good steward of the earth, of the planet. That's my responsibility, but God is the one who maintains it. And I think, I think Moses learned that. You know, I think that he also learned his identity. I think she started thinking back about how Adam and Eve were created in, in the image of God. And so she wanted Moses to know your identity is not in how much money you have. Your identity is not how much popularity you have. Your identity does not come from how many degrees you have. Your identity is in Christ because he created you in his own image. And then I think he went even further. She went even further. I think she said, you know what? And one day, God is going to show you how valuable you are to him because he's going to send his own son to die on Calvary's cross to pay your sin debt. That's how much you're worth to God. You have value. I don't know if this ever happened, but I wonder if on occasion Moses would stop by and see his mother and father from time to time. I don't know if he ever did that. Maybe he stopped by and just said, hey, I just want to check in, see how y'all are doing, and I want to give you an update on how things are going for me. You know, I'm enrolled at the Egyptian University. Yeah, I'm taking some classes over there. I'm learning about, you know, uh, pyramid architecture. Yeah, I'm learning about uh, Egyptian history and politics. Yeah, I'm learning about math and science. I'm learning about Egyptian religions and all the different gods, you know. And maybe Jacobet heard that and she said, well, well, Moses, let me just say something. Don't forget who you are. More importantly, don't forget whose you are. Don't forget what God has called you to do. Don't forget who you serve. You serve God, the maker of heaven and earth. I don't know what kind of relationship Moses had with his parents after he left. We don't know. But I wonder, but I do know this, that his parents left a lasting impact that the influence of Egypt could not destroy. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart. Now I want to say something right here. I know there's a lot of people here. And some of you may have had some hardships in your life where you've raised a child and you've tried to nurture them in Christ and they've walked away from God. 
And you read a verse like that and you say, well, I don't understand. I trained them up in the knowledge of Christ and, and they walked away. That verse does not promise that a child will not walk away from the truth that you planted in their heart. You know, there's no, there's no verse in the Bible that guarantees that your child will be a follower of Christ. It encourages you to lead them to Christ. But God has no grandchildren. Every single person has to make their own personal decision to follow Christ. Nobody is immune from that. And so, Proverbs 22, 6, I think, gives you a, a statement here. When you plant the seed of truth in your child's life, no matter how far they run, no matter how much they rebel, that seed of truth will never depart from them. Let me give you an example. In Luke, Luke chapter 15, one of my favorite passages of Scripture throughout, Bible, throughout the Bible, it's the story of the prodigal son. You know it, right? And there's the story of a father who had two sons, and that father is an image of God the Father. And in that story, it talks about a son who was a prodigal. Did you know that God had a prodigal? God probably has a lot of prodigals, doesn't he? The father did everything right, and that child still walked away. That can happen. But no matter how far he ran, and no matter how long he rebelled, that seed of truth would never depart. Because it's there. You need to seed your child with the truth of the gospel. Let me give you another thing real quick. Not only should you educate, but you need to demonstrate the word of God. You need to demonstrate. Now, let me just say to you, mom and dad, you best be demonstrating what you're teaching and preaching your children. Now, your, your children will listen to what you say, but they'll do what you do. And if you want to prepare your children to live for Christ, then you need to model Christ heard about four pastors who were discussing a, which translation is best. You know, that comes up from, from time to time. One pastor said, well, I like the King James Version because it's more eloquent in the, in the English language. And I like the way it uses the English language. Another one said, well, you know, I like the American Revised Standard Version because it's kind of literal in the way it was translated. Another pastor said, well, I like the New King James Version because it's accurate in its translation. Fourth pastor just stood there and didn't say anything for a while. And then he finally said, well, I like my mama's translation. And they said, well, I didn't know your mama translated the Bible. He said, oh, yes, she did. She translated it to life. And it was the best version I've ever seen. You need to demonstrate. Let me give you one last thing to kind of conclude. You need to prostrate. You need to educate, demonstrate, and prostrate. You need to prostrate yourself before Almighty God and pray for your children. I think that Amram and Jochebed probably prayed for Moses, maybe regularly. I don't think they ever lived to see him become the deliverer. But I do think they prayed for him. Some of y'all know who Charles Spurgeon was. He was known as a prince of preachers. Charles Spurgeon said his mother was not only a Bible teacher, but she was an evangelist. And she would sit them around the table, and she would open God's Word, and she would read it verse by verse and begin to explain the Scripture to them. And then when she got done with that, he said, then the invitation came. And she would look to her children. She said, how long will it be before you seek Christ? Because she wanted her children to know Christ. And then Charles Spurgeon said her name was Eliza, said about his mother. He said, I'll never forget the prayers that she prayed. He said she prayed some prayers for them. And this is what he heard in her prayers. He said, my mama pleaded for God to save her children. He said, then there was one day I remember a prayer she prayed that I never forgot. And this is how it went. Now, Lord, this is Eliza praying for her children. Charles Spurgeon, one of them. 
Now, Lord, if my children go on in their sins, it will not be from ignorance, ignorance that they perish. And my soul must bear a swift witness against them at the day of judgment if they do not lay hold of Christ. And Charles Spurgeon said when he heard his mother say that she would have to give witness against him at the judgment if he didn't accept Christ, he said it made him tremble. He later said about his mother, You, my mother, have been the great means in God's hand of rendering me to what I hope I am. Your kind, warning, Sabbath day lessons were too deeply settled on my heart to be forgotten. The hidden figures. Spurgeon never forgot those prayers. He later became the prince of preachers. Let me ask you this, moms and dads. What are you praying for your children? Are you praying they'll be successful? Are you praying that they will have a lot of money and have great wealth? Are you praying that they will be great academics? Are you praying they'll be saved? Are you praying that God will use them for his glory? Are you praying, God, would you bless my child and maybe even call them to be a missionary, which I think is the greatest vocation and calling on the face of the earth? What are you praying? Let me ask you to bow your heads in prayer as we kind of come to our invitation time. And there's, I want to just, just settle down for a minute. I want to ask you a couple of questions. With your eyes closed, and I want you to listen to these questions and see how God might want you to respond. Maybe this morning you're a parent, you're a mother, and you say, God, I need you to grow my faith. And I want to make a commitment to know your word more intimately. Maybe the day you just need to come and kneel at this altar or stand at this altar and make a, that commitment. Or maybe this morning you need to come and pray for your child to save your child and plead with the Father to save your children. Maybe you need to ask God to help you sow the seed of the, the gospel in your child's heart. Maybe that's how you need to respond. And maybe you're here this morning and you're so thankful for a godly mother that you need to come and just thank God here at the altar for the mother that God gave you. You say, well, I can do that right in my seat. You can, but sometimes we just need to put feet to our gratitude and say, God, I want to thank you. Or maybe this morning you're a parent and you say, hey, I want to pray and ask God to use my child maybe one day to be a messenger of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe that's your prayer. Or maybe this morning you are the prodigal. And you know the love and faith of your mother. And you've rebelled against it and walked away. And maybe this morning you need to come and say, God, I surrender. I want to follow you. In just a few moments, I'm going to be at the front. If you want to know how to know Christ, I'd love the privilege of sharing that with you. Or maybe there's something else you need to bring to the altar today. I don't know. I know that there are a lot of mothers who probably have some grieving, broken hearts from different things. And maybe you need to come and say, God, I, I need you. He'll help you. Father, I want to thank you so much for your beautiful examples in Scripture. Teach us how to live for you. I just pray right now for your Holy Spirit to work in our hearts to encourage those who are beat down and to, to encourage those who are walking in mediocrity to surrender to you totally that they might want to know you greater and know your word more intimately so they can practice your word more faithfully. Lord, I pray for mothers and fathers today who are trying to raise children. I pray you give them wisdom and direction. Lord, I just pray they'll be surrendered to you in every aspect of their life. So as we come to this invitation, we just ask your Holy Spirit to work in us. Help us to respond immediately and obediently. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing? And let me encourage you to respond as the Lord leads you. To every question, the one solution.